everyone, and welcome to another episode of GovCon Coffee and Issues with myself, Carol Bernard, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Michael Lejeune, partner at RSM Federal. How you doing, Michael? Doing pretty good, man. Ready for the holidays, and uh, I think today's going to be a good session. We're going to talk about the certification process and everything and uh, cover some really good ground. Yes. And as we record this episode, you know, I put out a little LinkedIn post to the, today saying that, you know, uh, December is a good time to have a good cup of eggnog and just basically work on those certifications because it's a little bit of a slower month. Yeah, I know entrepreneurs are always so super slammed, but you know, things, especially with the federal government, tend to slow down a little bit inside of December and January. So it's, a, it's kind of a good time to maybe take a little downtime and get through those certifications. And so, you know, in this specific episode, we wanted to talk about some of the issues that potentially is going to be hurdles or roadblocks or frustrations, so that as you start to engage in that process, you can get through as efficiently as possible. So do you have anything to add into this, Michael, to, before we get started today? No, uh, no, I think that's pretty good. You know, the there's a couple of different things about the certifications. We're going to talk about all of them, um, but it's knowing which ones are the right ones to go after right now. That's very important. Uh, I think we'll talk about that a little bit as well as like with the 8A one. I know that's a super attractive one for a lot of folks, but I always have people waiting a little bit on that. We'll talk about why. Uh, as we go through today. So awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get started. And, and the first issue that I wanted to talk about is the issue of people maybe getting certified for the wrong reasons, or mm -hmm. maybe they think that, hey, you know, I, I'm a aspiring entrepreneur, but I haven't figured out how to really create a lot of sales for what I do. So if I get this certification, then the floodgates will open. And I right. believe you know, that's, that's really not necessarily the right uh, thought pattern to have. And, and I've worked with a lot of clients in the past who really didn't even have a, a business model yet. They came in because maybe they're a veteran, maybe they're a woman-owned small business, or maybe they're a minority-owned small business, and they don't even have something to sell yet, but they, right. they've got this certification. So they think that if I have the certification, then the business will come. But what I do know, and from years of doing this, is that typically that doesn't really work so well. You know, what really does work mm -hmm. well, and really what the government's intention was, was not to basically give you a certification pathway to try to launch your business. I believe the government's intention when they created certifications programs were to really help those that are already in business as a minority owned business, as a veteran owned business, as a woman owned business to enable those businesses to be able to compete in a sheltered market, grow up a little bit, mature up, get some contracts under their mm -hmm. belt, you know, and then be able to then compete on their own. But really to first get the contracts, you do really have to have something of value, you know, even, but you think like, hey, I've got this product I don't want to sell and I'm going to bring it in. And, and you know, I'm a veteran and the VA has to buy from veterans. And so they'll have to buy this product from me. You know, right. but what they don't know is that there's a lot of other veterans that's already also certified that is probably already also like competing inside of those channels 
and they have evolved, they have matured, and they have a lot of good things that they're already offering to the government. So it's not only about getting the certification to get the contracts, but it's also to be able to see where you are maturing in your business enough so that the government, when they look at you, they trust you, they know you, they believe that you can get the work and get it done. Yeah. Your thoughts on that, Michael? Yeah, no, no, I think that's, that's really good. You know, and if Josh was here, I I think we both know what he would say is your status is not your value. Right. I've heard that from him for so long. And so people do believe that that status is the value they provide to those agencies. And if you think about it, like think logically for a moment, if an agency puts out an 8A contract, guess what everybody who bids on it is? They're all 8A. Right. So whether it's five or 10 or 20 people, they're all 8A because it's set aside for 8A. So immediately that thing that you thought was your value, your 8A is null and void. Like, I mean, it's a ticket to the show, but it's not going to get you the contract because everybody else has that. So that's just the equal playing field there. It really boils down to what is the value you provide? How do you articulate that value in order to win the contract? Because the 8A is not the value. So, but too many people will focus on, well, that's, you know, they need that. That's why they're going to, you know, you know, contract with me. We don't necessarily think about the fact that there's 8,000, 9,000 8 day participants. So there's all these people in the program. You're not the only one. And that is regardless of what it is. And so, and that's just one thing. That's a program that does expire. Whereas the right. other ones, those are typically permanent. Um, they're not always, but they're typically more permanent types of statuses, uh, certifications, whatever you want to call them. But uh, but those just kind of equal the playing field for similar companies. And so I do believe that was a lot of the intention there was to help level the playing field for those companies that are in existence to help them compete in a smaller pool. So they're not competing against the big boys. I mean, that's really, if you go back to the language of government contracting, it's the big boys, the Lockheed Martins, General Dynamics, the, the little guy like me, I can't compete against them head to head. I need some sort of advantage, whether that is my small business status, my veteran owned status, my SDVOSB, hub zone, whatever it is. I need something where now they go co- co-compete against each other and we compete as veterans against each other or whatever it may be. And that's a more level playing field. And I think that's a huge part of the, the intention there is now the small business have their subgroups of level playing fields uh, so that it's a little bit, it's more fair for people. So, Yeah. And I want to make sure too, we're communicating that, Hey, certifications have a value to them. You know, they're like a value add, you know? So, and and it's basically like Mike said, it's opening the door, like, you know, to some additional opportunities. And so I don't want to take anything, away from the benefits of going through the certification process. I think that if you have, if you are a woman-owned business or a veteran-owned business, or if you're in a hub zone and you want to get Mm -hmm. that certification, or if you're a DBE and you want to get certified through that program or an 8A, you know, get certified with the exception of 8A because of the timing thing. Mm -hmm. What I really want to emphasize is like, if you are eligible for 8A, you know, Make sure you're ready for business, you know, and 
you know, the SBA has a requirement that they be in business for two years because they want to see that these businesses have a propensity to succeed. But you could totally be in business for two years or four years and really not even be really ready, you know. And mm -hmm. so when you think about that, think about what can you do to really level up inside of your maturity level as a business, because the better you are, the bigger the contracts that you're going to be able to get. And I've seen right. people go through the entire 8A program and not get one contract, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's so I really heartbreaking to see because once they yeah. use that benefit, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And with COVID, that's really one of the first times in 2020 where people were able to pause their 8A for a year for just because, hey, COVID's going on. We're going to let you pause it for a year. Other than that, the only time you get to pause the clock is if there's something just massive that happens. So say your spouse dies and it's very traumatic and you're like, hey, I just need to stop the business for a year. No, look, I mean, there's reasons why they would let yeah. you do that. But for the most part, the clock starts and it doesn't stop. And I do see too many companies that are like, hey, I'm a month into this game and I went and got my 8A. I'm ready to go, but I don't understand government contracting. I'm like, we're probably going to waste a year of your 8A. Yeah. It's probably going to be wasted just because of that. So, uh, but that's okay. Let's, let's get a move on here. Let's start making some stuff happen. The other thing that I think with 8A is people don't pay very close attention to things like their NAICS codes and stuff like that. And so when you're getting in, make sure you're choosing the right NAICS code for your size, because you yeah. can size out of 8A. Right. You could say, well, we're really a niche firm and we're in this niche NAICS code and right. that, you know, the small business standard on it's 5 million and in year two or three of 8A, you're at 6 million and you've you know, phased yourself out where if you would have chosen NAICS code with a 30 million cap, you'll probably go through the whole program. Right. And so, yeah, and the thing is, like, if you're just a small business, you can go change your NAICS code. Like I'm just a small business, I'm a WSB, whatever. I can go change my NAICS code. But if you're in the 8A program, you have to get approval yeah. to change your NAICS code, your primary NAICS. Right. So there's little things like that. And where the, you know, SBA may say, well, you know, you really are that niche thing. You proved it to us the first time. And so we really want you to keep that. And yeah, you're going to phase out of the program. So there's just all these little things like that before you go after 8A to just sit back, do the, do the homework and make sure you're prepped um, or else, you know, you could lose it like that or it expires and you know, that's the worst thing. But for me, regardless of the certification, uh, regardless of 8A, anything like that, the biggest thing for me when I'm talking to clients is understand that value. Because if you can't articulate that, then you're not going to be able to stand on your own when you're out of the 8A program. You're not going to be able to stand on your own if you know, ownership changes and now you don't have that WSB or you, know, you bring in a VP and now you're not eligible for whatever because, again, there's, there's management changes and it kicks you out of something. You know? So really understand the value because that will stand the test of time. It'll stand the test of ownership changes and all those kind of things. Um, and it and it really will. You can win regardless of all this. So if you don't have any of these and you're just like, well, Mike, I'm just a small business, you can still compete and win. People do it all day long. So, yep. Yep. Absolutely, man. Yeah, these are just icing on the cake. Yes. Yeah. Let's uh, shift over to another issue that I see. And uh, 
that's self-certification. And right now, most of the certifications, federal, I'm talking, you got the 8A program, you've got the hub zone, those officially go through the SBA. Now the women owned is actually another one that officially gets vetted by the SBA. But you then you've got the VA, the veteran certification, who gets well, it's really a verification of the self-certification by the VA, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so they verify and then you get into the VIP database, but that's for mostly like, you know, VA requires it and also FAA requires it. But for most other agencies, they still take self-certifications. Um, the other self-certification that still exists is people go through their, uh, their SAM registration is small disadvantaged business. And there's a question it'll ask people, are you a small disadvantaged business? And they'll say, yeah, I'm disadvantaged. I feel very disadvantaged right now. You know, well, here's the problem with that. Number one, you know, if people don't really understand what that certification means, they're attesting to something that if the government starts giving them contracts and they're ticking the box, be like, hey, look at all the SDB dollars that we spent. And this has happened historically again and again in the past. Anytime there's self-certification, there's this, you know, big amount of money that's getting spent by the government with people who are actually not meeting by the letter of the law. Mm -hmm. uh, that creates problems for the government because in their goaling programs, when they're looking at goals, they're looking at a lot of people who are really not, you right. know, what they say they are. And for a lot of the businesses, it's kind of unintentional, but they're falsely attesting to something. So I see a continuation of this problem. And in fact, uh, you know, Stephen Coprince uh, on one of my uh, past webinars was talking about, you know, there was like a look at some of the self-certified veterans that were out there and there's still like 60% of them don't really meet the standards by the letter of the law. So if they were to go through the official verification process, they're not meeting the standards. What problem does, does that create? Well, if I'm verified and I'm competing against you, Michael, on a DOD contract, and I know that you didn't go through the process, you know, I might actually protest you to just see if I could get you knocked out of the competition because I'm playing by a stringent set of rules that maybe you're not playing by. So that's one risk is to only be in self-certified to basically maybe you're going to get kicked out of the competition. But also the other risk is that, you know, if you are renting those contracts and then it's found out that like you're actually not what you say you are, and you've got millions of dollars of contracts from the government you know, they they might come after you, you know, mm -hmm. and we've seen issues of this in the past where sometimes it's like, well, okay, you didn't understand, you know, but we've also seen issues where, you know, the, the government has been able to say, well, you fraudulently certified as this, and now you're paying a lot of penalties on the back end. So yeah. that's a major issue that I want to talk about is just for a little bit, because we're also hearing a lot in the news about the uh, President Biden's administration increasing the spin to SDB firms by 50%, right? Or by this mm -hmm. exponential number. So what does that really mean? You know, what does an SDB firm mean? How are they gonna get that? Because there's truly no, an SDB, by the way, small disadvantaged business, SDB, there's no SDB set aside right now. Typically, the way that the government 
counts their goals. So they, so they do two things for SDB. They do set asides for 8A because those two pretty much carry the same criteria. You know, so mm -hmm. if you're SDB eligible, you're likely 8A eligible. And the big two components is that is it's it's socially disadvantaged and not or economically disadvantaged. Right. So well, there's a lot of small businesses that are economically disadvantaged, but they also have to meet that social disadvantage. I did a study once on the people that were registered uh, inside of the SBA's uh, database. And what I looked at is that about 70% of those firms that are actually classifying themselves as SDB are not a minority owned business. And, you know, a lot of the minority owned businesses is mostly what is the makeup mm -hmm. of the 8A program. So as the government starts rolling out all of these dollars to SDB, I'm predicting that we're going to see something in the news one day that's just like millions of dollars are going to get, you know, you know, awarded to self-certified SDBs because they can't tick the box. So even if they're not doing an 8A set aside and there's maybe a small business set aside, but in your profile, you say that you're an SDB. So they're like, oh, great. You know, in addition to small business, I'm going to count this towards my SDB goals. So that's going to skew their goals. But if they ever audit that and you don't want to be in that position to where you're the contractor with millions of dollars being classified under SDB utilization, and then the government comes back to you and says, hey, what, what's going on here? What does that mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I think one of the things that is this stands the, the test of time, regardless of what we're talking about, is ignorance is not an excuse, right? So if you think about, you know, breaking a law or whatever, they're like, hey, ignorance is not an excuse. That, that's number one. So you should be able to do your research and make sure you qualify. It's very clear on the SBA's website how to qualify as whatever it is that you're right. looking for. On the other side of that, it depends on if the government wants to make an example of you. Uh, we right. see this all the time, whether it's political figures or companies where you just see every now and then they dig in and say, we're going to make an example of this person, yeah. this company, this whatever. And so you don't want to be on the end of that example. You just no. don't. That's it, what I was telling people last year in 2020, when we were talking about all of the uh, small business loans and the um, paycheck protection program, I was like, for the love of God, don't take it if you don't need it. Because I guarantee you, five years from now, when the government's going back through, there's going to be so much fraud. Even if you did the right things, you're going to be caught up in audits you don't want to be in. Because every time there's something like this, there's a massive amount of fraud. And so you don't want to be caught up or caught in a time period where the government says, let's go back and audit because we've seen a lot of problems because they're going to make an example of you. And, and I think, you know, you and I were talking before the show about one of the common ones is like, and I don't know if you're going to get to this in a minute of like, say your spouse is the SDVOSB or the WSB right. or, or whatever and saying, oh, well, we're just going to qualify for that because they right. are, we're going to give them 51% ownership right. and we're just going to do this and do that. And then I get on a call with you as the client and I say, well, where's, where's the W? Where is she? Or where's the SDVOS? Where are they? 
Right. And they're like, oh, well, they're not really that involved in the business. Like, hold up. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, you know, that person's not involved, but for some reason you're, you're trying to claim that. And so yeah. you, you're definitely going down the path of being made an example of. Right. Um, so we, on that specific issue, it, it's that the business doesn't really understand the concept of ownership and control. Yeah. And any certification that is based upon an individual's status, like a woman-owned business, the 8A, which is typically, you know, for the socially and economically disadvantaged individuals who own a business, veterans, you know, veteran, right? And so those are all based off an individual or a group of individuals. Mm -hmm. Now it's easy to say, hey, you know what? Okay, we put 51% in the veteran or the, the woman who owns it you know, we'll put 50% uh, in, in, I heard this a lot, you know, I'll just, I'm going to put the business in my wife's name so we could go after the WSB certification, you yeah. know, but that doesn't jive with the, the certification committees. Now I think, you know, uh, before it was self-certification, but now with the woman owned, you'll start to see less of people getting certified because they're going to be looking at that, you know, so that's mm -hmm. going to be a hang up. But yeah. you got to take into the control component of that and understand really what that means. And when they look at that inside of the certifications for those, it's like, okay, yes, a one or more individuals comprise the 51% who is eligible by that certification. Uh, and they also control the business, which means, you know, uh, the, the veteran or the woman or the, the person who is socially and economically disadvantaged, they uh, have the highest officer position. They manage the day-to-day -day operations. They have a full-time dedication to the business. And so those are things that a lot of people don't see the newbies coming in, trying to get these creative structures going. You know, and I try to tell you, man, I've seen this a lot and it really, I advise against it because uh, it, it creates really a lot more hassle to just try to even do all of that stuff uh, than mm -hmm. to just go out and, just participate in the small business set aside marketplace right? Uh, because, you know, there's a lot of opportunity just within small business set asides. And if you want to get access to certain veteran or woman owned small business or 8A contracts, go out there and partner up with one of those firms that are already certified, you know, and yeah. go after it together. Yeah. You know, you talked about something a minute ago here that I want to go back to about the, the president trying to increase the goals. And I, I think that's something that's very misunderstood as well, because I know I, I've offended people in the past by saying, hey, the goals don't really matter <laughs> at the end of the day in, in some places. It all boils down to the organization, right? The organization, that commander can say, hey, my priority is X or my priority is Y. And when you're looking at your priorities, you know, I think everybody to a degree tries their best to hit the goals. But in certain situations, we have to look at what's going on in the economy. And like last year, we had half the contractors and double the contracts. Mm -hmm. So like, what's a contracting officer to do? Well, they've got to fill the contracts. And so sometimes it's not going to be hitting a goal because, hey, we didn't have anybody. You know, nobody wanted to bid on this. I can't tell you how many contracts go with no bidders, no RFPs turned right. in because there aren't people. And I think... We're going to see that based on last year, this year, and next year, just some of the impacts of what COVID did 
to push people out of business. So we're seeing in on one hand, we're seeing government contractors shrink. I think there's going to be some new ones come in, but they're going to take a while to learn things. And so I think it's going to be an interesting next 24, 36 months in looking at those goals to see, is it even possible for them to hit the old numbers, much less the new numbers, given just the contractor base because of what's happening there? And and you've, you've, I think, made a really good point about this previously when we talked about infrastructure, where there may be enough companies, but a lot of them are tapped out. So if I lost employees during COVID and I'm still operating because, you know, we have, we've managed our books properly and everything, we've probably shrunk a little bit. And so I'm not going to chase as many contracts this year because I just don't have the people. And so again, it's not to say that there's anything wrong with increasing those limits, I just think it's going to be very difficult for the government to hit them mm-hmm. because of the size of the contractor base. Yeah. And so that, that's going to be an yeah. ongoing issue for the next 24, 36 months. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you have to have the firms have to be procurement ready. Exactly. It doesn't matter how many SDBs are in the pool. They've got to be ready to go. I mean, yeah. they're not just going to give a or contract. Or willing to bid. Right. I, I never forget that. You know, if, Again, if you put a contract out there and nobody bids, it's what do we right. do? What right. do we do? Right. So now right. you've got dollars that are going unspent as well. Yeah. And it, and you know, sidewalks that aren't getting poured or buildings that aren't getting, you know, built or whatever it is, because the contractors are like, I just can't handle anymore. Yeah. So so yeah. What yeah. I wanted to, what I wanted to mention one thing here too, Michael, because when this whole uh announcement was made about doubling the the you know the amount of spend from from you know last year or whatever i was like a bit confused and i think i understand it now but i know that we usually have some other experts that are on on the line with us here so i'd uh, I'd invite somebody to raise their hand and we could like have them chime in but from the way that i understand this so like if you look at the goaling for the government specifically with sdb there's a a a five percent goal for sdb and they primarily you know get that done through 8a set asides but also through other small business who are not 8a but they have that self-certification you know and so uh that's five percent so does that mean they're going to increase the goal for sdb to ten percent that's what i thought initially but that's not appears what it is what i what did I read and what I believe I have straight now is that I think that the goal for SDB is going to remain at 5%. Last year, the government hit a 10%. So they got over 10% of spend with SDB. Now, my guess is if you take out all of the non-8A firms and you really look at those firms that were self-certified, how many of those are actually, would that still be hitting that 10%? Mm -hmm. But, you know, so when they say they want to spend 50% more, I think what they're looking to do is to get to 15%, 15% spend overall and all of their spend with SDB firms. So it's it's a little confusing. I think I got it right. But again, if anybody knows differently, I'd be happy to learn. So yeah, I, I think that's a good breakdown. And I think there are some things that are going to help them get there. So like when we looked at the infrastructure bill, 
we noticed instead of there being a 3% and a 5% and a whatever percent, right? It was like, hey, our intentions are at least 10% will go to small business XYZ, right? Let's lump them all together. We want to make sure at least 10% of this spin goes into that category. But again, that's assuming you have enough businesses that will compete for those contracts that will total 10%. And so we will see if if that's the case, it really, again, depends on the contractor base uh, and we're not gonna know for a little while. And then you've also got the challenge that I mentioned in the infrastructure bill, where we're not gonna see infrastructure bill dollars in every department for nine months from now. And so when you're looking at that, now you've got companies that got into the market thought they were going to get money really, really fast. And now they find out there's a six, nine month wait. Will they make it? So right. when I when I look at that, I, I don't know if we're going to hit those numbers, given how, how far we're pushing that money out in most of the agencies. Um, but I think, it, you know, just saying, hey, across the board, we're going to try to hit these numbers. I think that's a good way to do it. And if you balance that with, hey, it's 3% and this percent and whatever percent normally, but now we've got this thing that's pushing it to 10, you know, they're hoping that that will help pull up those numbers across the board uh, when they look at it. So I think there's some measures like that. You know, you've got the NDAA that's still being hammered out in Congress that will probably try to change some of it. Uh, There's been like a thousand plus amendments in the last month and a half on that thing. So we have no idea where it's going to wind up, Um, but there may be some last minute negotiation to raise those things. Uh, We'll see, but um, my big thing is you've got to get the money flowing on those contracts and we've got to make sure people are ready. They have the certifications. Yeah. Um, they've properly done it. And, you know, and I, I think that's one thing that, that I would say about the certification process as a whole, even if you can self-certify, the best thing you can do is look for the official process. Just because you can tick a box in SAM, doesn't mean that should be your end point. Right. Go follow the process and get your official certification right. in, in whatever it is. Because it, and, and then not only that, so roll it back and look at, at what state level, because we primarily are talking federal level here right. that, that covers you know, your, your nationwide. Um, look at what on a state level you can get where you can actually have a piece of paper, a document that says my company is certified in the state of Maryland, the state of Virginia, wherever you reside as all of those things, because now you're just making yourself official and that is going to set you apart from the other people that have just ticked a box inside their SAM application. So get official anytime you can. Yeah, and I'm glad you, you spoke a little bit about the state and local certifications because those will not qualify you for, for example, if you have a WBE certification, Women Business Enterprise with a state, that won't qualify you for federal and vice versa. Right. The certified for the WSB on the federal side won't qualify you for your state. So you have to go through that process with your state separately. However, a lot of the stuff that we talked about here today will apply also to your state like the ownership and control if the mm-hmm. certification is based upon your you as an individual minority or a woman-owned business or a veteran-owned business a lot of that ownership and control will still yeah. apply 
Yep. And the biggest thing with all that is, you know, make sure you're keeping the documentation on all this stuff. So don't just submit it online, but you don't have copies of your write-ups and all of that kind of stuff. Keep copies of all that so you can quickly go to your state and fill yeah. out those or go to the Fed and fill out those. And they match. That's always yeah. a good thing that those things match. Um, and then when you're done, here's something that I recommend as well. When you go through and get all of those things, go in and check the systems and make sure they're showing up. Make sure that in the, in the dynamic small business search, that it shows up in your paragraph that you have all those things. I was just doing this with a client this morning and she was like, I know this company was 8A and it's not showing up in SAM. It's not showing up in the DSBS. Yeah. Did they lose their 8A? And I'm like, for all we know, somebody went in and updated it or it was with the WSB update, something happened and wiped it out and they never went in and checked their profile. So periodically check your profile and make sure all your stuff is in your profile. Right. Because it could be something that simple. And like, I went to do a search in that state on eight A's and I'm like, they're not showing up in here. And I checked all their, they're not showing up in here. And sure enough, in, in everywhere, none of their stuff was in there, but I know they've been awarded like $38 million in 8A right. contracts over the last you know, seven years or whatever yeah. it is. Right. And so, you know, so the, 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 um, from the other client's perspective, guess what they're going to do casually next time they talk to the contracting officer, they're going to say, Hey, Bob's no longer an 8A. So when this comes up for recompete, got to kick them out. Yeah. You know, they're going to, they're going to softly position that stuff. Yeah. Um, unless Bob actually is an 8A, which there's a lot of things that can get you kicked out of that program, not just ownership and control. Um, yeah. But uh, but anyway, th those are just things when you're thinking about your competition and you notice they're not one of those things, like you said earlier, that's a very quick way to, to, to file a protest and say, hey, we've searched and they are not 8A, this, that, and the other. Um, you need to go back to the drawing board on this. You need to go to the second contractor. Oh, that yeah. happens to be us, you know, or, or whatever. And now Bob's in a fight for his life to keep the contract because he wasn't, you know, keeping his records up to date online. So, yeah, that's true. You know, cause you do have to, you know, for some of these programs recertify, you know, with the 8A, it's like an annual, it's annual. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's annual, an annual yeah. kind of update really, but it's, kind of you go through the same process again to, to main, make sure you're maintaining eligibility. Um, so understand what that is so you can maintain your eligibility and you you actually mark a date on your calendar yeah. to go through that process. Yeah, and, and just like I said earlier, sometimes you will be caught in a situation where you're gonna be made an example and you didn't meet the deadline. You, and so now you're no longer eligible and you're gonna get kicked out of the program, even if it was a day. Yeah. You know, something was submitted wrong. Um, it really depends on, you know, who's who's behind the, the decision making desk there yeah. and, and what they decide. And a lot of times this is what I found oh, most of the time people have common sense to say, oh, you do have this. But for whatever the you know, the Sam didn't update it or whatever, uh, let's just go update it and make sure you're good to yeah. go. That, that happens a lot, but every now and then somebody will make a stink about it. And, you know, now you're being made an example of, so. Yeah. And last thing I'll say about that is, you know, you, you mentioned have, go and look at your SBA profile. So if you guys are, don't know what that is, 
dsbs.sba.gov. That's a public database. And if you did not opt out of being searched by public, you can see your own profile there. And you can see, you can put your DUNS number inside of that and, and pull up your profile. Look at what they're basically certifying you as. I know that there was like a lot of when this whole WSB went from self-certification to official certification, they added a new box in there to indicate mm -hmm. whether or not the, the uh, women-owned businesses had gone through that official certification. Yep. And at that same time, there was new uh, policy uh, that was implemented by the government agencies to say, okay, now this is where we're now going to go inside of these this DSBS database to look to see that they actually went through the SBA's certification. And like also if they're 8A certified or hub zone, they'll have the little boxes ticked there. So like Mike was saying, if you go there and you don't see those boxes ticked and you've gone through the process and you believe that your certification is active, my suggestion would be contact your local SBA office, uh, look for the business opportunity specialist, those are the folks that usually work in the contracting area of SBA, and they should be able to give you a little bit of guidance uh, on that, or maybe help to get your issue resolved. Yeah, well, that's, that's great advice. And I, I always tell people go in there and, and search not just by your duns, search by your status. You know, you can you can select your state, and if you're eight A, click on your state, click on eight A, see if you show up. Click on WSB, see if you show up. You know, do those kind of things just to make sure it's working. Uh, you know, it, even though you see it in your profile, is it working? Right. Because I've seen that before where it was in a narrative somewhere, but it wasn't somewhere else. And they were like, if you put in my DUNS number, it shows. Right. But if you just tick the box for WSB or 8A or whatever, I'm not coming up in the results. Why is that? Right. And, and, we, and you got to figure that out. Yeah. So. Well, you know, since you mentioned that, I'll just say this is that. When you go through your profiles, um, for example, if you're going through because you're like, hey, I don't think I'm actually now that I uh, learned about SDB cert, I don't think I am. So I want to untick that box. So if you go through there, you can actually go through in your SAM update. I think it's like question number 17 um, <laughs> or something like that. There's good. a little box you can untick it, you know, and you can not say that you're that. Uh, but the other thing that I would recommend doing is that if you actually opted out either in your SAM box or in your, your SBA box, if you opted out of public record search, I would say do not opt out. You know, uh, a lot of people do this because they don't want people calling them and telemarketing to them. I gotta say, there's a lot of companies that already have that data anyway, so they're gonna reach out to you. The but, moment you hit save, they got it. Right, but what you're doing when you tick, don't show my profile, number one, you can't see your own profile if you're just looking at it from the what it looks like public facing side and mm. also if you want to be a subcontractor you know a lot of primes look at that dsbs database to look for firms that have the certifications that maybe they're trying to increase their goaling or their utilization under a certain project right. so when you opt out they are not seeing you either only really government agencies can see you so that would be my suggestion and actually follow it all the way through. There's two sides. There's the SAM side. Then when you get to the SBA, you click the little box, you jump over there, and then there's the SBA side. If you do need some help with that, I would recommend working with your PTAC. They can help you do those like tick boxes or, or just get you set up, you know, in the right way. 
so uh, reach out to the PTAC. But there's one more thing I wanted to talk about real quick to uh, Mike, which is a uh, it really causes a lot of delays and denials out there for certification. So what I would recommend is as you get certified, organize, look at the required set of documents that you have to upload into the government system for them that they're going to look at. But uh, when you do that, uh, I would recommend yeah, if you have a partner in your business, you might want to work with a GovCon attorney to just look over everything for you. Because there's little things sometimes where the bylaws or something is not set up just right, where the government can come back and be like, oh, no, uh, you know, we don't like this provision that's in here, you know, because that basically will take control away, you know, or, or you know, that will show that they're controlling your business in some way. And so when we come to the control issue, that could create a denial, which will ultimately create a delay. And ideally, people want to get through these certifications as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. Again, all of the PTACs out there are really great to work with. But just from a structural standpoint, if you want somebody to look at your bylaws that you've set up with partners or multiple partners, uh, I would suggest uh, using an attorney. Uh, we have some that we know. If you want to reach out, feel free to do that. And I'd be happy mm -hmm. to send you to some GovCon specific attorneys that basically they that's all that they specialize in. So they can take a quick look and say, yep, you know, you're good to go. Then you're going to have a clean set of documents to upload into the portals. Now, a lot of times you might see on a government website that, you know, certification usually takes 90 days, you know, unless there's uh, some unforeseen circumstances. But what does 90 days mean is that 90 days from the submission of a complete application. So if there's something where they say, hey, uh, upload your joint ventures agreements to this box here, and you don't have any joint ventures agreements, don't just upload nothing. Actually make you a little page and say, you know, this section is in A and upload that so that when the government goes through, they don't see like something's missing. It was like, hey, I don't know if they don't have any JV certifications. Our, our you know joint ventures. So go ahead and upload to every spot in that flow. So that way you got a clean set of documents. If you've got, had your attorney review it in a partnership, then when you upload them and you also are filling in every box, that's going to get you streamlined through the process and reduce your risk of you know denial or the government coming back to you multiple times. Right. The other thing is make sure you're watching your email because if the government does come back to you and they say, hey, we need this document, the 90-day clock has not started yet until they actually have what they consider to be a complete application. So you might have said, well, I submitted that on January 24th and it's August 5th. Did you get back to the government when they asked you to get back to them with some additional information? Yeah. So. And a lot of times you only have either five or 10 days, depending on what it is, to respond to that email. And if you don't respond, you get kicked out of the system and you got to start from scratch. So yeah. I've seen that happen where you're non-responsive at that point. And so they have kicked you out because they gave you the five or 10 days, whatever they said in their email, and you never responded. So now you're re-uploading all of that from the beginning. So that, that's something you've got to watch out for as well. The one thing that I will say, um, kind of about what you're talking about with the documents is I, I do see a lot of people that when they're forming their organization, they will do things that are completely unnecessary in the business, 
that will cause their application to get kicked back or questioned at a minimum. And it's things like, hey, you and I, we've known each other for, you know, 10 years and we're going to go and do this business together. I'm the SDVOSB, but you want part ownership of the company and you want part control. So you want to do it 50-50. Well, we can't do that. Or even if you're not going to be an owner, you're like, Mike, I want an executive title. You know, I want to be the chief operating officer, or I want to be this, or I want to be that, but handle that in an employee agreement, handle that in a way where you say, look, Carol, I understand that you'd like to be that. And you know what, you're going to function as that, but I'm going to call you some other title, because if I give you chief operations officer, it's going to look like you have control of the business instead of me having control of the business. And we both know I have 100% ownership and control. So I'm going to give you some other title that will allow you to function in a role without causing a problem with with the SBA. Because again, you just want a title because you want a title. And sometimes people are like, oh, you're my buddy. I I should give you that title. Um, You know, and, and that's fine but it's going to cause a problem. And now you've got three operations level people in the company executives. Um, You got a VP of this and a director of operations and a COO and a whatever. And now you've got cause for concern with, with the SBA. So just because somebody is your buddy, just because you're trying to lure somebody over onto the team, you know, you've got to stick to your structure and not cave to all of those kind of things because you won't get certified yeah. because of those things. So, yeah. And the last thing I'll, I want to say on that too, is update your LinkedIn profiles because the government will be looking at your LinkedIn <laughs> yes, profiles. They and will. You say you're the president of this company, but it shows you working full time for Cisco. You know, they're going to first question like, well, how can you actually be the president of this company and have that full-time devotion to it? If you're working full-time as like the IT you know, director, director at Cisco, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah that, that, that's a big one. Yeah. Or maybe kind of- you did transfer and you just didn't update. you right. So, but yeah. again, we want to eliminate those hiccups inside of the process. Yeah. So not only your LinkedIn profile, but your website. Uh, I've seen people have that kind of stuff on their website too, where they have their resume on there and their resume actually has, you know, 2015 to present, I'm at Cisco and I'm, you know, 2020 to today present, uh, I'm the director of, of, or president of my company. Um, there's just little things like that where we don't pay attention to that detail or we don't update something and you get questioned and it, at a minimum, it causes a delay in a problem. And now yeah. you've got to explain it to people. So you can put a lot of things in people's employee agreements and things like that for compensation and how they're going to do their job that won't affect, you know, the bylaws of your company or any of those kind of things, control issues. And so those are just important things to look at. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's break it down and let's kind of close out with a, a few suggestions based upon what we talked about here. Uh, one thing is that, again, remember uh, your PTAX out there, but there's also other partners out there that can help you. Uh, sometimes those MBDA centers out there have resources that may be well-versed in certification. And so if you're working with any uh, partners, uh, look to get some support from them where you can get it. A lot of the ones that are funded by government agencies are no cost to you. So 
use that. If you actually don't have that uh, inside of your area, uh, look to actually getting somebody to help you. You know, there's companies that also help with the certifications. I know some of the law firms also that's GovCon specific. You know, I mentioned, you know, at least having them review your bylaws and your structures. Like if if you didn't think through those elements when you first, you know, formed your company, um, know yeah. what the definitions are for these certifications. Yeah. Like what does like a small disadvantaged business really mean, you know, by definition? And do we actually yeah. meet the letter of the law for that definition? Yeah. And then just basically have all your ducks in a row when you go to submit your documents. Um, and also, we do have some really great training on Govology on various certification programs. We have an overarching one to help folks find out if they're eligible for what certifications. And then we have specific trainings on, you know, SDVOSB on, on 8A, and, and we have that available as well. So lots of resources out there. Use your resources. Mike, what's your uh, final uh, suggestions here? So actually I have two things. Number one is I actually did some research last year. I don't have it at my fingertips here, but I know there was a really small percentage of people that make it through first time, no issues. Like it was five, 10%. The overwhelming amount of applications for all of this stuff. So like 80, 90% wind up not getting kicked out, but kicked back for questions. Mm -hmm. So, Hey, a missing document. Um, hey, you said this, but did you really mean that, you know, different things like that. So 75, 80%, maybe higher, get kicked back for those kind of things. And then a small percent get denied. So if you, if you get questions, it's okay. The majority of people get those questions. Just make sure you get the documents. And I've seen so many silly things where they're like, Hey, you didn't include these three forms. And you're like, yeah, we did. And you up, just upload them again. Yeah. That's all you got to just upload it again for whatever reason they missed it. So it's a lot of simple stuff, um, usually two or three times back and forth with that person and, and you're good to go. The other thing is you mentioned about hiring somebody. I know a lot of people really frown upon paying a consultant because all this stuff is free. But here's the deal. And this is just the truth, as, as blunt as I can put it. If you can't get it through, then go get an expert. I mean, right. try it yourself. There's no harm in trying yourself. But if for whatever reason, you're not getting the language right, that's definitely a time to bring in an expert. Um, I know several, you know, several. Yeah. Uh, there's people that do this for a living and they're like, oh, yeah, they kicked it back because you use this one word. Right. Right. And that's and that's why they're not approving you. But you don't know the word. And, and it's worth paying somebody five hundred a thousand dollars, whatever it costs for them to review all your documentation make the corrections and also interact with the, the contracting officers that are trying to approve that because again, they talk to these people all the time. They know how to answer them. So if you're having trouble, it's not, uh, there's nothing shady about these companies. There are some that aren't very good. So get a good recommendation. Yeah. Um, but this is what they do. They help people get this done. And also if you don't have time, I talk to a lot of people that are like, I don't have time to sit behind my computer and figure out everything in the packet. Right. And so that's another great time where bring in an expert who literally lives and breathes this stuff. And right. so it doesn't cost much if you have the right person. If somebody's saying, hey, it's gonna cost you $20,000, $25,000, that's a red flag you have the wrong person because it doesn't yeah. cost that, so. 
You know, I'm glad you mentioned that, Michael, because there's also a consideration with how important is it that you get through this this certification in like 90 days or less, you know, or yeah. maybe even like 120. Because if once you start doing your market research, let's just say you know that there's a big IDIQ contract that's coming up for recompete in the next like six months. And but in order to actually be able to be awarded, you've got to be, you know, certified, right? So it's like, do you want to mess around with, you know, seeing if you could do it, you know, on your own and get through it and kind of go do the back and forth? I've known contractors that's taken them two years to get certified mm -hmm. with the back and forth, you know. Right, right. And that's also the value. If you know, if, if you're not in a in a rush to get it, you know, then you have some time that you can actually, you know, do it yourself. Leverage again, leverage your PTAC. But you know, there's experts, there's you know, and the, the attorneys, and there's other people who just specialize in that that like can really help to make sure that once you get your packet in, it it's just complete, it's mm -hmm. streamlined, it's all the way through. And the value of getting that in place before that big contract that might only be competed once every five years is out there, mm -hmm. is you know, would give you some peace of mind, I believe. Yeah, no, absolutely. And th there's a time to use free resources. There's a time to pay for them. And a lot of times when you're paying for it, it's because nobody can figure out what you're doing wrong or there's a time crunch. It's one of those two. Uh, but otherwise, a lot of times the free stuff is, is a great way to go. So Absolutely. Well, hey, man, I think we did a great job on this session. It's, we're almost at an hour already. Yeah. I keep trying to like make these a little bit shorter, but there's a lot you to know, talk about. You yeah, know, there's there's one question that I saw, and I know we we try to take some questions here. Uh, there's one question that I saw here about, uh, you know, any ideas when the certifications will be updated? Um, several people have pending status, can't find a resolution. You know, the one thing that I would say is be the squeaky wheel. So whether it's the DSBS website, the SBA website, the SAM website, be the squeaky wheel. Go to the federal help desk and different places like that. And, and don't give up. Like the worst thing you can do is be like, oh, they said, wait. So I'm going to wait two or three months and check it again. Like I'll, I'll wait a week and be like, all right, I'm calling the help desk again. <laughs> or we're, we're getting back on the phone with the help desk. And like the more you're the squeaky wheel, the better. And so don't give up on making those phone calls to them, entering a new ticket if they close out your ticket uh, and just hammering that home because you're going to get it fixed if you're constantly on this stuff and, and like, I'm not a guy who takes like, Hey, just wait for an answer. Somebody will say, Oh, well just give it a couple of months and it'll be fine. I'm like, why, why do I have to wait? Like I'll dig deeper. I'm like, no, you need to fix this because this is wrong. And this, everybody else is updated. Why can't you update mine? Like, I'll just keep digging and be like, no, do you have a manager I can talk to? Oh, does that guy have a manager? Yeah. Like somebody yeah. in the chain yeah. We'll be able to fix it if you're persistent and just keep walking up the chain. And sometimes you just hang up, call back, get a different person and go, hey, can you help? You yeah. know, like you just got to be really persistent with this stuff because they're getting they're flooded with calls and other things. And if you do listen to them and just say, OK, well, I'm going to wait. That's that's awesome for them. Now they don't have to deal with you. So just yeah. be the squeaky wheel. Keep going back to them. Call every phone number you can find. Uh, yeah. for the system you're dealing with and uh and just again just be yeah. consistent with it so now that's a great tip man and just kind of continue to elevate that and if you think you've hit your highest level i'll say that 
if you can contact your congressional office, they usually have staffers there that are very good. If like you just really feel like you can't get anywhere with anybody, one phone call in because they've got special contacts inside of those agencies. Yeah. One phone call in typically will actually get some attention to it. I wouldn't say use that as the first resort, but you know, if you're elevating and you're going through the structure and you you're working through the process, you'll allow the agency to respond and help you out. Yeah. But if you can't, that is an effective tool. Yep. It is a very effective tool. So, so. why don't we uh, like close out this episode, Mike, and if anybody has some continuing Q and A's for those of you guys who are in, in the live session with us, we'll take some more Q and A after the show, but uh, we'll wrap up this episode. And again, for those of you guys who might've joined us late, I'd like to invite you to join Gavology Nation at uh, www.govology.com forward slash nation. That's our private LinkedIn group where we can continue the conversation there. So feel free to jump on that. And always, again, if you want to be a part of future episodes of our GovCon Coffee and Issues and getting into our live audience group where we can talk to you after the show, take some of your questions, uh, the URL to register for that is govology.com forward slash issues. And in addition to being able to register for upcoming sessions that we're going to be doing uh, you'll also be able to find uh, past recordings if you want to watch any of those specific topics with that we're going to close out for today and i'll say thank you everyone and happy holidays to you and we'll see you next year <laughs>